One of my professors always said, quoting Socrates, don't be afraid to follow the evidence where it leads. So here I'm about to leave the Christian faith or wanting to, and I essentially said to myself, the least I can do is at least consider if there's evidence Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth and this is The Restory Show. Today I am welcoming Brandon Vestal to the show. Thanks for coming on today, Brandon. Yeah, pleasure being here. Um, You and I have been friends for like 4,000 years, isn't that right? Seems that way. (laughs) And uh, give us a little bit about your origin story. Like where did you grow up and how did you meet Christ? And just give us a little bit of your background. Do you have like kids, wife, stuff like that? Um, I grew up in the... uh um, back streets of Rockwall, Texas. <laughs> Very rough place. I'm being extremely sarcastic. <laughs> yes. um, it is the it is the ideal suburban America. So very sheltered upbringing. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in the church. I received Christ at a young age, at the age of seven. Um, you could say mine is the poster child evangelical story. Um, Dad was a bivocational minister, and uh, mom was a teacher. Accepted Christ at a young age, was a leader in my youth group, and uh, you know the, everything just made sense to me. Everything was was just perfect in my little world. Um, <laughs> bubble was not popped for a long time, so I do have kids. Um, I have three kids. I have a seventeen-year-old daughter, a six-year-old son, and a one-year-old daughter. Um, I am married. I've been married now for almost eleven years, so that's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, just trying to, to live well and, and make sense of this great life that I've been blessed with. Yeah. And it, and so the listeners may hear uh, your daughter in the background, which I think is part of the ambiance and the coolness of it all. Yes. That's what we're <laughs> going to call it. It's ambiance. <laughs> it's ambiance. So, um, I happen to know a little bit more about your story because I also live in our sheltered little community that we live in. And I also have walked alongside you in some of this part of the story. So why don't you go ahead and start sharing the story you want to share with the Restory listeners today? Yeah, sure. Um, so when I was in high school, I felt called to ministry um, at, a, at a pretty young age. I was a freshman in high school. And, um, you know, a lot of my, I, I didn't really fit into a lot of groups at school, but I fit in at church. And so a lot of my confidence and self-esteem was in church. And um, so at church, my youth pastor gave me the opportunity to speak on a couple occasions and it went well. And with that, I felt a call to ministry. And so that's kind of where I began to build up my identity was in this idea of me becoming a pastor one day. And so I um, graduated and went to Howard Payne University, where I studied psychology and also essentially I minored in philosophy and theology with the intention of um, one day becoming an urban church planner. And um, Lo and behold, I hear towards the end of my uh, college career, after doing summer missions every summer, and God, and, and God <laughs> always doing amazing things, I began to think that real ministry was like summer missions, that you just swoop in and God does amazing things and everything goes great. And uh, that's ministry, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm waiting for the crash. <laughs> I don't know, right? <laughs> So uh, long story short, I had planned to go to Golden Gate Seminary to get my MDiv because that's what everyone does, right? You're evangelical and you're going to go into ministry. You have some experience, get an MDiv, and you become a pastor, right? That's that's how it works. So I was told. And uh, what happened was um, 
one of my mentors, who's a great guy, he was a part of uh, the pastoral council that was a part of my, I guess, licensing team. I don't know if that's a team, if that's a thing, but it was for me. So this six-month process, when I was a senior in high school, um, I went through the licensing process and eventually got licensed. And the pastor that was kind of in charge of that gave me a call my senior year of college, and he asked me what I was doing, what I wanted to do. And he uh, essentially, through the course of the conversation, he invited me to move up to Evergreen, Colorado and become his uh, youth pastor. So in other words, forego seminary and just jump right into a full-time job in Colorado. I mean, to a 22-year-old kid, it didn't sound much, it couldn't get much better than that. Um, I get a full-time job out of Colorado, be a pastor and I'm in Colorado. So I was in. Yeah, you get to climb mountains. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I did every week. If I wasn't climbing, I was snowboarding and it was, uh, that you know, just obviously... Colorado is an, imp- an incredible place to live. So, um, so I moved up there, and um, you know, it was it was really exciting um, to be there and just to be involved in ministry. And essentially, right when I got there, things got kind of interesting. Um, there was a kind of a popular. I don't, I don't know if it really is popular anymore, but uh, there was this book called "Now Discover Your Strengths" by Marcus Buckingham. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the. I've done it. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were pretty into that book as our church. And, um, you know, my pastor's strength was that he was a maximizer. And a maximizer is essentially somebody that's going to get the most out of the people they work with, which is which is a good thing um, in essence. Um, but essentially what started, you know, he and he, went, and he was – I think he was well-intentioned. He was trying to help me, young 22-year-old Brandon, to uh, – to really do well in ministry and, uh, you know, I guess experience fruit quickly. And so, uh, he, he maximized me every week. And essentially what that means is (laughs) (laughs) we, uh, we had our weekly meetings, which was fine. And, um, but during these weekly meetings, it, it, it was really what I wasn't doing right. Um, and, you know, typically when you, when you want to critique somebody, it's, you know, healthy critique is, hey, you know, I noticed you're doing this well. I like what you're doing here, but you also might want to think about doing this, you know, kind of mixing, uh, mixing constructive criticism with encouragement. And uh, essentially the meetings turned into just what I wasn't doing. And uh, they got pretty critical and I kind of got tired of these meetings because it began to feel like I wasn't doing anything right. Um, uh, on the other side of the coin, um, our youth ministry was 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 growing. Um, we were attracting the type of student to our group that some of the people in our church were a little uncomfortable with. Um, some students were making decisions for Christ, and um, you know it was really positive. But still, every week there was this element of more criticism, not doing anything right. I kind of just really needed to hear some type of encouragement. And I was young. It was my first full-time ministry experience. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't really have the confidence. I didn't know if I was doing it right. Um, and so the the criticism was appreciated, but I think it, it, it began to wear on me that all I got was criticism. Critici- and, it, you know, it was a weekly thing, and I it just kind of wore me out. Uh, so after about six months of this, it kind of came to a head where... Um, I was having my weekly uh, maximizing meetings, <laughs> and uh, this time it was at it was at we were having breakfast at us at a um, a nice little restaurant, 
And um, I told my pastor, I'd really started to feel kind of this, this weird vibe with the elders of the church. Um, I don't know. We just weren't really talking. And when I was in the room, they just seemed to be avoiding me. And I just kind of was like, you know, I expressed to him, you know, something just seems off with the elders. And uh, he said, you know, that's interesting you say that. Your name came up in our meeting last night, and um, they said a few things, and I wanted to share those with you. And I was like, oh, okay. Did your heart drop into your gut? A little bit, especially when he pulls out a a three-page sheet of paper. Oh. Uh, (laughs) So uh, he starts to read off the list, and granted, I was a young kid, and granted, I made a lot of mistakes um, as a young pastor. And so... um, me saying that the criticism wasn't warranted would be false. It was warranted. I, I did need the criticism, you know, the maximizing, if you will. But I, I also needed encouragement, and I wasn't getting that. And so when he began the list, it did start off as, if, um, you know, necessary things, you know, that, were, that would be good for any young 22-year-old kid to hear to make um, him better. But then about halfway through the first page, it went from constructive to personal, um, and things were said on the list, such things as you know, Brandon is is not a leader. Brandon is not fit for ministry. Um, really, just personal attack that kind of just attacked really everything that my identity was wrapped up in at that moment. Um, and so it was just you know, forgive the cliche, but it was kind of a you know, the needle, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, I just kind of, I, to be honest, I broke down in tears in the middle of the restaurant. And, um, you know, I'm not sure he knew what to do with that. I probably caught him off guard. And maybe in an effort to comfort me, he said, it hurts, doesn't it? And I was, oh, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> wow. Very, very observant. Um <laughs> So it just so happened that my dad was in town that week and uh, being a prospective father, like any parent, he said that, you know, there's something wrong with this church. It's not healthy. It's time for you to come home. And uh, but on the other side, God was doing cool things in the youth ministry and students were joining and coming to Christ. And I felt I didn't feel peace about leaving. And so um, I ended up staying for um, a little bit more than a year. I ended up staying for about 20 months, so not quite two years. Um, and during this time, the uh, the just awkward relationship with the elders continued. Um, so that, that relationship became more, more corrosive and unhealthy. Um, and I think people, some leadership in the church are going through some personal struggles. And so that may have added to the intensity of it. Um, but it kind of came, I just kind of came to a head when I got, um, a new boss. So the pastor was no longer over me. And this was a nice guy too. He came out of corporate world again, well-intentioned, but, um, he, he essentially said to me that he would give me three strikes when I was like, okay, what, what do you mean? He was like, well, essentially, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway, three strikes. And if, if you get to three strikes, I'm going to ground you. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean ground me? What am I, 12? He said, no, so you'll you'll work regular hours at the church from 8 to 4. You won't be allowed to visit the students on campus. You'll have to stay here and work normal office hours. So you won't have the freedom you normally have, you know, to go visit students on campus and, you know, come in later, leave late. It's, you'll, you'll, work, you'll be, you know, 
the work hours would be more strict. And so, um, so strike one was I didn't turn in a receipt in less than seven days. Um, I got the receipt in um, 12 days. You know, you got to get those receipts in. And the second strike was I was told to change my voicemail before Christmas and I didn't know how to change it. And so I asked the secretary and tried to figure that out and she'd already left. And so I wasn't able to change my voicemail because I wasn't sure how. Well, Mary, that's strike two. <laughs> strike two. Oh, no. And so my new boss comes to me and says, you're at two strikes. You know, you do one more thing, you're going to be relegated and you have to stay on campus. So just be aware you're one strike away. And I was just kind of like, you know, this is this is crazy. And I sat down with a good friend of mine who was also a youth pastor who'd kind of allowed the same thing to happen to him. And he said that he, he he experienced this type of environment at a church for about five years. And he woke up one morning and didn't know who he was anymore because he allowed essentially an external force to change who he was because he was trying to, you know, please those, you know, the powers that be. And so he looked at me and he said, you know, if you continue to work here, you know, you're going to wake up one day and not realize who you are. And it's going to take a long time for you to figure that out again. And so for me, when it, with those words, they're just kind of a quickening of the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it's time to go. And so, so at that point, it was 20 months. And, um, you know, I put in my resignation and I came, I came home, which, you know, was Rockwell, Texas. And uh, back to the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the bubble. But it was it was in Colorado that the bubble had burst because, you know, these people who talked about loving Jesus and all the things that, that Jesus stood for, you know, really just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I the relationships were kind of corrosive. And I just, um, from my experience, I came back to Texas really not knowing who I was because my identity was really in being a pastor. And that was gone. Uh, the job was gone along with the desire to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to do anything with ministry. Um, I was done with that. And it also happened at the time that I I came in contact with some friends and made some new friends that had also been recently burned by the church. Um, some of them were former missionaries. Others were former youth pastors like myself. And so we kind of just got together and just kind of, in one, as, in one sense, we vented and in another sense, we really looked for a reason not to believe anymore because we were kind of just done with Christianity and what it had done to us and the way it had hurt us. And so um, we began to read, you know, very contrarian literature. This is when the Da Vinci Code was popular. And this is when there are several popular works um, that question the historicity of Jesus um, and the Gnostic Gospels and all those things. And so... So we read this contrarian literature and uh, kind of got into it and um, really just were looking for a reason not to believe. And I, I would say during that time in my life, probably for about six months, I was um, I was agnostic. <clears throat> I really didn't know what I believed anymore. Um, and I was looking for something to believe. And I was strongly considering atheism, but you know, it had to make sense for me. Um, and so several of the people that were in that group that I was friends with, burned by the church, excuse me, um, did eventually become atheists. Um, and they're still atheists um, to this day. Um, but for me, um, for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I mentioned before, I minored in philosophy in college. And um, one of my professors always said, you know, quoting Socrates, don't be afraid to follow the evidence where it leads. 
And um, so here I'm about to leave the Christian faith or wanting to, and I essentially said to myself, you know, the least thing, the least I can do is at least consider if there's evidence that um, is contrary to what these books are saying. And so I tried to find some, uh, some voices on the topics that I was reading and essentially just kind of hear the other side on the historicity of Jesus, the Gnostic Gospels, and the reliability of the New Testament, which all these books, of course, were throwing into disrepute and throwing into question. And uh, so just for me, doing a lot of serious study, um, trying to weigh both sides. And uh, for me, um, the books that I read that were kind of a counterpoint to, I guess, trends in culture at the time were more, were more compelling and convincing for me. So me coming back to the faith was really a decision of reason uh, than it was emotion or a, a presence of the Holy Spirit or anything like that. It was it was very much a conscious decision that for me this makes this makes more sense. So even though I don't, I don't feel it, even though I'm still really angry, um, intellectually I'm going to go in this in this direction. And at that time, um, God opened the door for me to be a teacher. Um, and so I, I didn't want to work in a church, but I still wanted to work with students. And so I went back to school to get um, a graduate degree in history and a teacher certification. And I started teaching in South Oak Cliff in Dallas and at a charter school. And, and God used uh, my five years at that school to really heal me from my experience in Colorado um, to help me realize that gifts that I, I was still a leader, that he had called me to things because I had forgotten and lost these things. I didn't think I was called to anything. I didn't know if I really was gifted. Was that just a myth that Christian parents tell their children that God has gifted you with something? Because I didn't feel like I was gifted in anything. Um, I really felt like a loser. And here God uses education to just kind of rebuild my confidence and affirm some giftings and... Uh, kind of just helped me rediscover who I was and realize that my identity was not in being a pastor, that my identity was in Jesus. And I'd put much more of my identity than I realized in being a pastor, that I cared more about that in some essence than I did in simply following Jesus and finding my identity in Him. And so my five years in South Oak Cliff really helped me to learn how to do that. Um, so teaching... God used it in a pretty powerful way, and I discovered a gift that I didn't know that I had in that. Uh, but as I continued to teach, after I've been teaching for about eight years, um, of course, during this time, I'm rebuilding my faith, uh, kind of anew, if you will. It's, it definitely wasn't the same faith as the faith that I had as a child. Um, still very biblically centered, but um, just different, you know, without getting too much into it. I, I guess more open and... Um, you know, I thought about things a lot deeper than I used to. Um, I didn't just believe something because somebody told me, which is kind of how I was raised. Um, so I guess I questioned a lot more, but again, Jesus was still part of that. And so after about eight years of being a teacher, I started to feel the tug in my heart back to leadership um, in within a ministerial type context. Um, I kind of felt like Jesus was saying to me, um, I still want you to be a teacher. This is an important part of your life, but, but I've called you more. And I was, there was a lot of trepidation there. I was like, I don't think so, God. This is just fine. This is just fine. I can make a difference right here. I do not need to go 
back to church. So I kind of fought him a little bit on that, and uh, he won. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> eventually, um, I did begin to to serve as a teacher at a, at a church um, in Rockwall, uh, at Lake Point Church. Um, because I'd kind of grown up in Lake Point, I knew that they would let essentially anybody lead a life group. And, um, <laughs> Are you saying that because Patrick and I lead one too? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. They don't let anyone in. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew the, the how that whole structure was. So I was like, Lake Point will let me teach a class. Um, and so uh, we we joined Lake Point. Um, and uh, I taught a life group there for, for three years. And, but again, there was this constant pull. It was kind of this gradual thing that God had built up over time. Um, and it just kind of grew within me, this desire to do ministry again. And it started with teaching a life group at Lake Point and it eventually materialized into um, about two years ago. So keep in mind at this point, it had been 13 years since I left Evergreen. Um, about two years ago, an opportunity came along to be a part-time youth pastor and um, I decided to pursue it. And so 13 years later, here I'm being a youth pastor again, doing something I swore I would never do, uh, serving a God I wasn't even sure was real when it was all over, um, and doing that again in a meaningful way. So, um, <clears throat> and, and then, um, so I served at that church for a year, and... You know, it's kind of a different dynamic to the story that I'm not sure because it would make the story a lot longer. <laughs> but my, you know, long story short, my my wife and my daughter didn't really feel at home at the church where I was serving as youth pastor. And so uh, um, after serving at that church for about a year, God brought me to another church Um. And I'm currently serving at that church as Christian education pastor um, in a part-time role, but I'm still teaching. And so, you know, I, here I am 15 years as a teacher, um, working as a teacher during the day, but on the weekends and Wednesday Wednesday nights and, you know, many other times um, I'm working as a pastor on staff at a church that um, is just growing leaps and bounds. And so it's just kind of one of these things where I tell people, and because I've got friends that they really want to serve in the ministry, they really want to do this, and God's just not opening that door. And, and here, I didn't even seek this out, really, and it just kind of fell into my lap, and other things kept falling into my lap as a way that just over time, God has redeemed what happened uh, now 15 years ago. And so... That's kind of the long, longer. That's kind of the short story of, uh, of, of the testimonial. Well, I, you know, I know you, so I can ask you all sorts of personal questions. Yeah, please do. But, um, <laughs> uh, I one of the things I think is interesting um, is that you ended up uh, going to a church where your wife and your daughter felt more welcoming, and and the backstory of that is that you are a mixed race couple couple and you walk through a lot of 
issues with the evangelical church, even when you were dating your wife, who actually was on the Restory show and also a Restory speaker, Vonda. Um, And so tell me a little bit about that journey of ending up in the church that you are right now and how that has taught you just, just what was it taught you? What caused you to go there? Um, I, you know, my wife was a really good sport. And uh, when we went to Lake Point, we really felt called to go there. Um, it was kind of a place in our life where just for whatever reason, we, um, it was during the recession. My wife had lost her job. She couldn't get a job. She was unemployed for almost two and a half years. Um, we, um, we lost our house in the process of that time. And uh, we were just kind of at a place where we were starting to feel like that our prayers weren't, you know, going farther than the roof of our house. And so really at a low point in our life spiritually, and we really just felt, we woke up on Sunday morning and we just weren't going to go to church again, like we hadn't gone in probably a couple months. Uh, and we kind of looked at each other almost instantaneously, like, we need to go to church today. Well, where can we go to church? I don't know. Well, let's just, let's just go to Lake Point. I mean, you know, it's... We can, a we tiny can little church of we can hide in the back. thousands. Yes, no one will notice us. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we'll just go for our nice little sixty-minute service and check it. Check the box. So uh, we went to Lake Point, and um, the the teaching pastor that morning talked about unanswered prayer, and it was like all the lights in the auditorium were out, and there was a spotlight on us, and he was just speaking to us, and. Um, it was so, so, so powerful. And so we knew that for that season, we were called to be there. And so we did. We For that season, for us, it was three years. But my wife, uh, my wife is a worshiper. And not that all of us aren't worshipers in some sense, because we have that desire to worship. All of us do. But she she looks forward to going to church because of worship. She's that person that sings in her car and sings everywhere she goes and sings in the shower and is always singing. And so... Worshiping in church is a big deal for her. And culturally, there was just kind of a disconnect with Lake Point. Um, you know, Lake Point does praise songs, and they have a great praise band, and they're professional musicians, and they're super talented. Um, and they don't do anything second rate. But my wife needs gospel music. She wants gospel music. Even if it were one gospel song a month, it would have been enough to get her through. But Lake Point just doesn't do gospel music. Um, and, you know, this, you know, just call it what it is, white people are more attracted to, to, um, you know, to pray some white music. Yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, that's, <laughs> and so, uh, she was able to sing praise songs for, for three years and just kind of do the gospel thing in her car. And, um, when I got this job at this church that was also predominantly white, they of course did hymns and praise songs too. And that was kind of my wife just kind of had one of these moments where she was like, I love you, but I can't, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I, I need, I just need some of my culture. And so I was like, I, it's fine. I understand that. So this is when we started going to two different churches, the church that I worked at and the church that she wanted to go to. And, uh, and this church was, a, it was definitely an ethnically mixed church. It was predominantly black, but predominantly black with a lot of different, um, you know, racial and ethnic groups that went there as well. And this is where my wife went and um, where she and my daughter felt at home and comfortable. And it happened to be this place that eventually brought me on and hired me. So talk about a beautiful, 
just a beautiful um, working of God and that he was able to take me, who was now really willing to be in ministry and has the desire to be a ministry and put me in the church where my wife and daughter want to be. And you ask why I chose it. I, first of all, I think God chose it. But why, why was I willing to do that? Um, you know, I, I, I've met a lot of uh, black friends over the years who have tried to bridge the gap but the racial gap, you know, between white, black and, and everything in between. And for whatever reason, sometimes when they bring up the issues of, of race or racism or institution or white privilege, there's kind of a, a real like a hard pushback from a lot of folks and predominantly white churches. Like they get really uncomfortable and they don't want to talk about it. Um, and it's kind of gotten to the point where where I feel like if, if we're going to bridge that divide, we really need white folks that are willing to get out of their comfort zone and visit predominantly black churches. Uh, because when it's the other way around, for whatever reason, white people, a lot of white folks just can't comprehend the fact that white privilege is real, that racism still exists. And so, um, you know, I've seen a lot of, uh, an increasing amount of white folks come to predominantly black churches really just to listen and learn and not be heard or get their point of view across, but really just listen. And I've seen so much personal growth when I see that. Uh, And so, you know, my prayer is that more white families will be willing to, to bridge that racial divide by getting out of their comfort zones and going to a place where they're the minority um, to listen, to learn, and to experience worship from a different perspective. It doesn't mean you have to join the church, but um, but just to expose themselves to that difference. Uh, one thing that our church has recently started doing is pulpit swaps, which I think is a good start. Our, our pastor goes and preaches at another church in town that's predominantly white, and their pastor comes to our church. Um, and so, I don't know, it's just really hard to see someone else's perspective when you, when you maintain the majority. Um, and so for me, I think it's, it's really powerful when you, when you choose in, in an effort to reconcile, to be the minority in a situation um, and just listen. I think for, you know, you, you and Vonda both came to Montreal with us on a mission trip and, you know, Patrick and I were overseas. And I think when you have that opportunity to be a minority in a culture, just even language wise, you learn to have that empathy. And so I just commend you for being a part of that. And just, I I was aching for you when you were in two different churches. So I really love that you're together now. Yeah, man, I do too. And it's been a phenomenal experience. It's a really healthy church. It's been a great place to be for our family. So um, it's exciting. It really is. I think, I, I, you know, we still have yet to understand what God is doing as far as in all its fullness in that place. Like we're really just beginning to see why he's called us there, if that makes sense. <clears throat> so what advice would you give to someone who's gone through a similar experience, especially this like discouragement, walking away from the Lord, ministry, all of that? What would you, what advice would you give? Um, I kind of think a couple things. I mean, one is, you know, People throw around the cliche that God's call is irrevocable. Um, But I've experienced that 
And when you say it's irrevocable, it doesn't mean, oh, everything's going to be fixed in a year and look great. I mean, I was away from ministry for 13 years. Um, much of that, I didn't really even have a, a real faith. And so I think maybe just trusting in the sovereignty of God and his ability to bring grace and good out of a broken situation. And just to know that, so there's that element that God's call in your life isn't going to go anywhere. And here it is surfacing in my life. And I, I had no idea that I was, I really feel called to be a bivocational pastor. Like even though things are going well and, and the church offered me a, a full-time position, they wanted me to come on full-time, but I don't feel peace about that. Like I really feel called to be bivocational. Like that's what God is calling me to be. And I wouldn't have learned that had it not been for what happened in Evergreen. And so I think just trusting in God's sovereignty when it comes to what appears like a call not being fulfilled on your life, that for if you had a season in your life where you had peace and confidence about a calling and that peace is gone, um, that's probably more of the situation than the calling. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, is just rest. Your call is like no one else's. Uh, as far as just my my perspective as far as coming back to faith really more through reason um, than, you know, I don't know, some revival service or somebody sitting me down and praying over me or a a, a traumatic experience, which I know sometimes happens. Uh, You know, for me, it was reading a bunch of books and thinking. And Mm. that's most people I I would argue that I've come across, their, their faith experience isn't like that. It's okay if if the way you come back to God and the way you express yourself to God is different. It's okay, you know. There's uh, we always have this pressure to conform. Is what we see in you know mega churches and in Christian pop culture, what we what's considered quote normal, and if you don't match that, there's kind of a dissonance. Like, well, does that mean that I'm not really a Christian, or is there something off about me? And I think it's just that God has called you to be that that element of different that you feel or experience in your faith walk. And that's that there's beauty in that. And so, yeah, I think those would be the two things just to trust in the call of God in your life and that it's okay if your walk looks really different, that, that there's even beauty in that, um, that, that shouldn't bring anxiety or make it feel like that, that it's any less authentic than maybe somebody who's a little famous or more well-known or somebody that you've read or whatever. Well, I appreciate that even as someone who's married, <laughs> because <laughs> I have a certain way of looking at my relationship with God. And Patrick's had a lot of personal revival in the exact same way that you've had it. You know, this reading anti right books or whatever. And that would not be how I would be revived. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but I would be with your wife, Vonda, in the pew singing like crazy. And that would like restore me. So even in marriage, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt that everyone's different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Well, thank you, Brandon. And thanks for listening to the Restory Show today. Mind if I pray for you? Yeah, please. Jesus, we thank you for Brandon. We thank you for Vonda and all the, um, the story that he represents. We pray for those out there listening in the audience today who have a different um, way of relating to you, or maybe they have a story where they have been hurt by uh, ministry or hurt by other Christians. And, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would encourage them on that 13-year journey, or that 10-year journey, or that five-year journey, or even those journeys that people are on where they're wondering if you're even good. 
They're wondering if you're um, there. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself strong and that you would meet them in their point of need in, in interesting and cool ways, Lord. We trust you. We need you. We are so grateful that you're sovereign over this world and that you relate to us in such unique and beautiful ways. And so I just thank you for that today and thank you for Brandon's story. So if you'd like to know more about today's show, you can go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode information. And also I have another podcast called PrayEveryDay.show. And that's where I pray for you. I go through the whole scripture. Um, So right now we're going through Philippians. We're going to be going through Psalm 119 soon. And I do a couple verses at a time. And then I pray for you every day for five minutes. So PrayEveryDay.show. And so may you live a brand new story this week.